Thanks, Pastor Dave. Well, good evening. Welcome to South Bay Community Church. Like Pastor Dave said, I'm Greg, one of the pastors here at the church. Um, we're closing off a series we've been in for several weeks now called Asking for a Friend. And we've been looking at some of the questions that people want to know. People are asking but are afraid sometimes to ask in the church, whether because it's difficult or we should know the answer. Maybe it's a, it's a touchy subject. So we've been looking at some of these questions and answering them, looking from, uh, from the Bible, looking at Scripture for the answers. Um, last week we did a message called, Can Someone Be Gay and Christian? Can someone be gay and Christian? A question a lot of people ask. And, you know, I, I was um, teaching from the Word, and the way I went about it was, Instead of trying to identify what it means to be gay or what makes a person gay, is it attraction, is it orientation, is it celebration, is it identification? Um, instead of trying to define what it takes to be gay, I, I wanted to look at what it takes to be a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? We looked at the scriptures and we saw that a Christian is one who is, first of all, convicted of sin. That we have an awareness of what offends God. And what he calls sin. And then we also said that a Christian is one who makes a decision to carry the cross. That we would deny ourselves, pick up the cross daily and follow Jesus. Then we also talked about how a Christian is one who cares to help carry crosses for others. Knowing that some people have heavy crosses to carry. That the call to follow Jesus is very costly for everybody. But seemingly more difficult for some than others. And if we're Christians who are called family and we have this compassion of God inside of us that we should come alongside each other and help each other carry the cross away from sin and toward Jesus. So the challenge is that we would be a community, a family that is filled with people who are safe and sincere friends, who would be willing to make friends with people who aren't necessarily like me who might not exactly think like me, but we should come alongside each other and try to point people to Jesus. I, I shared with you last week that I don't have a lot of friends with same-sex attraction, at least not that I know of. I don't have a lot of gay friends, and I said that as something not to be proud of, but something that I find terribly tragic, right, because it limits how much I understand of what it feels like to be someone who has same-sex attraction. It limits how much empathy and compassion I can have, which ultimately limits my ability to be one who can compassionately come alongside someone, help them carry their cross, and walk toward Jesus. And so I started praying. I said, God, would you help, help me make some friends? Give me friends who would sit with me and talk with me and help me to understand. People who I can call sincere friends, people I don't see as projects but genuine friends. And it's amazing how God answers our prayers when we ask according to his will. I shared with you a friend that I had met previously. Um, I shared with, with you about him last week. This past week, it's like God keeps answering my prayers. This past week, since last week's message, I, I met two more friends who opened up to me about their struggles with same-sex attraction. One, one person doesn't even come to this church. So why he decided to open up to me, I have no idea. It's, it's either really strange or not strange at all. That maybe God has heard my prayers 
and he's seen my heart and he's providing people who are helping me understand. And when I'm praying for people who are going to help me understand so that I can be a more compassionate Christian, it's not so that I can become better at helping people feel comfortable in sin, but that he would help me become a better Christian, a more effective Christian, so that I can better help people carry the cross, walk away from sin and toward Jesus. I asked you last week as I sat here and I, I, I gave the message sitting down, I asked you to imagine with me that I had a friend here and we said we'd call him Beckett. And I wanted to speak to you as if uh, a friend with same-sex attraction was sitting here as I spoke, that I would speak in such a way where, where a friend could, could sit and listen to me respectfully and hear everything I had to say because of the posture in which I spoke from. Well, today as we are wrapping up this series called Asking for a Friend, if I were to give today's time a, a, a title, I'd, I'd call it the friend I was asking for, a friend I was asking for. So church, would you help me give a very warm South Bay Ohana welcome to our friend Beckett Cook as he comes to the table. Thank you. This is Beckett. Thank you for joining us. Hey guys, we're gonna we're we're gonna sit and and just hear from Beckett. I realize it's one thing for me, as a heterosexual man, to come before you and say, "Hey, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Jesus." It's another thing for a, a, a person, a man who has experienced same-sex attraction, to be able to share with you his story and then encourage you and say, "Hey, pick up your cross, deny yourself." And follow Jesus. And so I'm so glad Beckett can be with us today. Um, Beckett wrote a book called A Change of Affection, A Gay Man's Incredible Story of Redemption. And I, I shared with you guys last week that we weren't able to, to sell these books here, but I hope you guys picked up a copy this week. Um, I hope you brought it with you. He'd love to sign, sign some copies for you outside in the lobby. I, th I think Beckett brought eight copies today. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I didn't have very many copies I asked, with me. Yeah. I asked him last minute if he would bring some. Uh, he's only able to get a hold of eight. So we'll have eight for sale. Um, <laughs> be Sorry. the lucky first eight, okay? <laughs> if not, you can always go online and purchase a book. And I had a chance to read the entire book. And I'm telling you, it truly is an incredible story of redemption and the power of God in a person's life. I think many of us have um, similar stories or stories just as powerful but we don't have time today um, to go through all the details of the book. Um, what I really loved about his story is not just the end of the story and how the story ends, but I really love the entire journey and just the honesty and just how raw um, Beckett was in just sharing um, from a very honest place. And so, so today, we don't have all this time in the world, but I'd love for you, Beckett, just to share with, um, with our church family just a part of your journey and, and how you ended up to where you are today. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. It's good to be here. And um, where do I begin? So when I was very young, I, I knew that I was attracted to the same sex. I was, you know, I don't know how old I was, probably nine or 10. And I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and it, it was very much frowned upon <laughs> to be, uh, gay in Dallas, and I grew up in the Catholic Church, and um, 
and I went to Catholic schools my whole life. So I knew, according to the church and to my culture, the, the people around me, my family, I knew that it was considered wrong. So I had to keep this, you know, a secret. And that, that's, a, that's a strange phenomenon because on the outside, I was this kind of popular kid. And, but on the inside, I was struggling with this, this strange feeling. And I didn't know what to do with it or where to put it. And I just was confused. And so... Uh, as I grew older, as I got into high school, I ended up becoming best friends with someone, and we came out to each other in high school. And that was a big turning point for me because we, uh, I was finally able to confide in someone and to talk to somebody about it. We ended up really exploring gay culture in Dallas. We went to gay bars. Um, I was like 15. He was 14. We went to, I don't know how we got into these clubs and bars, but we went to these bars and I remember just kind of like the first time I went to one of these clubs, I just walked in and I was like, oh my gosh, like these are my people. Like I finally felt, because I'd always kind of felt like a misfit in my life, even though I was popular with, with my friends, I, I felt like they didn't fully get me. And I, when I walked into this place, I was like, these people get me and they all are, are going through the same thing I'm going through. And so it was like this moment of, it was, it was an interesting moment. And then in college, the same thing. I went away to college, and I ended up becoming best friends with someone who was gay. We um, did the same thing. We, we confided in each other. We talked about, you know, gay culture and life. And, and, we, uh, and that was very helpful in college as well. To have that. And, I, and in college, I still wasn't out um, to anyone. I was out to, like, a very just a few people in my life. And, and then after college, I moved to Tokyo for a year um, to try to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And um, my best friend and I moved to Tokyo, and I, um, his, his close friend from Dallas came to visit us, and that's the first time I, I fell in love. With, uh, he and I fell in love. And that was when I was like, okay, I'm definitely gay. That was when it, my identity as a homosexual man was completely cemented. And, and I was, like, able to come out to my family. I, I told my parents. I told my, my siblings. I told all my friends. And, and that was kind of, that was another huge turning point where I just, I was out. And I was, I was happy to be gay. And I was, you know, proud to be gay. And, um, and then I moved to, after that, after that, I moved to LA and uh, to pursue kind of writing and acting and, and other things. And I ended up in doing set design. But um, all of my friends in LA were, you know, there were, some were gay, some were straight, and but we all kind of had, we were all very, uh, they were all very ambitious and very smart and interesting and creative. And we were all writers, producers, directors, actors, and, and they, um, you know, it was, it was a great time in L.A., and we, we did all these fun things. We went to parties and premieres and to the Oscars and Golden Globes and the Vanity Fair parties, the Governor's Ball after the Oscars. And I met everyone in, during this time, like over the course of like 10, 15 years, I met everyone, was friends with a lot of people, was friends with a lot of movie stars, and um, still am was friends with those people. But... Um, things have changed slightly, <laughs> um, but, uh, and so I, for many years, you know, I was having kind of the time of my life, and, 
I was, you know, I was just like one night, I just was like, at a, I, my friend was like, let's go to this party, and it's at Prince's house, you know, and we went to this party up in the hills in, Be in Benedict Canyon, and it was at Prince, the singer, his house, and, um, you know, and there was like a stage in the backyard, like in his gigantic backyard, there was a stage set up with this like cymbal, and I was like, oh my gosh, he's going to perform tonight, and he's, he like sang for three hours until like three in the morning. But it was like these kinds of experiences were happening, and I, I felt like this is what life is about. Life, because I knew that being a Christian was not an option for me, because I was because I was gay. So I was like, okay, God's not an option. Christianity's not an option. And none of my friends, we never talked about God once. No one ever mentioned God um, amongst my friends, and we it was just assumed that God was uh, didn't exist, and that the Bible it was all a fairy tale. And so we had this, you know, we were having all these great, and that's what I thought life was all about for me. I thought, you know, it's about making a big, you know, making it big in Hollywood and uh, finding, you know, true love. And, and I, over the years, I had a series of five really serious relationships with guys. And then the other thing was, you know, having these really great experiences in life. That, that's really the kind of the purpose of my life is to have as many great experiences and to, as, you know, Socrates, like know thyself, like to know myself was really the purpose of my life, which was a really shaky purpose to, to, or foundation. But, um, and so cut to two, uh, March of 2009, I was in Paris in fashion week, at Fashion Week I used to go to Fashion Weeks in New York and Paris, and I was in Paris Fashion Week, and I went to a bunch of the show, uh, to the shows and to a bunch of the after parties, and one night I was at this after party, and I just was, I was there, and everyone from the fashion world was there, people were dancing, and there was great music, and there were, people were drinking champagne, and Kanye was there, and like, it was just this whole kind of fashion crowd that I was used to being around, but for some reason that night, I had this overwhelming sense of emptiness. And I was looking out, I was sitting with Rachel Zoe, who was a, this fashion girl. And I, I was looking out over the crowd and I just was like, this is not it. This is not, this can't sustain me for the rest of my life. I can't just keep going to parties and doing these things. Like it's not fulfilling anymore. And I got to that point in my life, it was like, is that all there is? You know, is that all there is to a fire? And, um, and so, cut to, I come back to LA, six months later I'm in LA, and I'm with my best friend, we're at a coffee shop in Silver Lake, and my best friend's gay, and we notice a table next to us, and they have Bibles, physical Bibles, on the table. And that was a shocking sight to see in L.A. Because I, I had never seen a Bible in L.A. in my whole time in L.A. since 1993. <laughs> so I, I, it was shocking to see a Bible. These are actually good props to have with you. But, um, and so my friend and I were like, whoa, what is going on? And then they bowed their heads and prayed for a moment and closed their eyes. And we were like, whoa, like, are they going to Guyana for like some Jonestown thing? Like, don't, like, whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're like, is this some cult? And so we, we were fascinated by them. We were half intrigued, half kind of disturbed by them. 
so we ended up in a conversation with them because my friend loved to engage in kind of controversial conversations. So I, I turned around and I said, I mean, this is like a, a Christian's fantasy, right? I turned around and I said, are you guys Christians? Like, what do you believe? And um, they, they told me what they believed. And I said, you know, look, I grew up Catholic. I don't really remember just like, wh what do you guys believe? And they said, you know, they told, they told us they were evangelical Christians, that they went to this church in Hollywood called Reality LA. And, and um, we had this great conversation and, and I got to the $64,000 question and I, and I said, you know, well, what does your church believe about homosexuality? And, uh, and they said, well, we've, we believe it's a sin. And it's interesting because in that moment, I just was like, I, instead of kind of storming off or just turning back around and saying, oh, you guys are idiots, I, I just kind of accepted that because of that six months prior, that, that moment in Paris where I just felt such emptiness. I was like, in that moment, I was like, you know what, maybe maybe there's a slim chance that God exists. And there's even a slimmer chance that homosexuality is a sin. Like, what if I've built my entire life on this false foundation? And what if I just, what if I'm wrong? Like, I don't think I'm wrong. I've lived, it. this is my identity and this is who I am. But what if I'm wrong? And so anyway, they invited me to church the following Sunday. Can I ask you a yes. question real quick? So I'm just wondering... Before that, that night in Paris, you know, just as you were living, you know, a homosexual lifestyle, was there any point where you felt maybe I'm living in sin? Or was it just like, no, this is me and this is life? No, I didn't. I didn't think I was living in sin. Okay. I felt, yeah, I just felt I was living um, who you were. It felt like who I was and it was felt completely natural. And, okay. Um, and so... I, the following Sunday, I didn't know what I was going to do. I kind of just thought about it for the whole week. And I, and I thought, am I going to go to this church? And if I do, it, it, what if nothing happens? It could be really humiliating and embarrassing. And, and so anyway, the following Sunday, I wake up. I, I'm like, I guess I'm going to church today. And I'd never been to an evangelical church, so I didn't know what to expect. And it, I drove to Hollywood and it, it meets in a high school, public high school auditorium. So I wasn't used to that because I was used to like stained glass windows and like smoke and candles and, <laughs> you know, all that with the Catholic church. And so I, I, I walked in and it was like very spare, like this room. And I just walked in and I, I heard the worship music cringed a little bit because I was like, oh, I forgot about Christian music. Yo, that's, and, <laughs> but then I liked it. I was like, wait, it's not bad. And it, so I found my seat kind of like right here in the front, and um, I sat by myself. The pastor comes out. He's preaching through the book of Romans, and so he was on Romans chapter 7. And as he's preaching, this crazy thing starts happening, and I start, everything in me is like shifting, and every word he's saying, every sentence he's saying, every, every syllable he's saying, I'm just, is resonating as truth in my mind and in my heart. And I'm literally, during the sermon, I was like this on the edge of my seat. I was just like, <laughs> my mouth was like a gape. And I, and I just was like riveted to the sermon, and I didn't know why. I didn't know why I believed it was true. But I remember thinking, wow, this is the gospel? Like, I, I've never heard this before. Like, I... I it was the first time I, I really heard the gospel. And 
it, it turned everything I thought religion was on its head. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is good news. And, and then after the sermon, um, someone on the side of, in the prayer ministry prayed for me, which is a whole other story. I won't, it's a, but anyway, it was, a, it was a very powerful moment. I came back to my seat, and I'm sitting in my seat, and, and everyone is standing and worshiping for another 25 minutes. And I, I'm sitting in my seat, processing the prayer, the sermon, the, mus- uh, the music, and, or the worship music, and, I, um, and then that's when it all, <laughs> the Holy Spirit all of a sudden just was like, <laughs> and just overwhelmed me, and God in that moment just revealed himself to me. And it was like Paul on the road to Damascus. It, it, was, it was so like clear and powerful, and God was like, I'm God, Jesus is my son, heaven's real, hell's real, the Bible's true, you're adopted into my kingdom, boom. And I'm like, whoa. And I just started bawling and bawling and bawling, like crying harder than I've ever cried in my life. And I knew, um, it was like the curtains had parted and I could finally see the truth for the first time in my life. I, I knew, I, I was like, I, I was, it was the first time I knew what the meaning of life was. Because I always wanted to know what the meaning of life was, everyone does. And I saw the meaning of life, and I, and I knew it, and I was like, oh, my gosh. And so I was crying and crying for the next 25 minutes, and I was crying. It was like when Isaiah's in the temple, and he sees God's holiness, and he comes undone, and that's what happened with me. And I was crying over my sins, but also just the relief of just this, the burden of my sins being taken off of me and meeting Jesus, the king of the universe, I, I was, it was like this joy and sorrow. It was kind of this mix, but I was so just excited, but also it was a, it was a strange mix. But I, um, I, I cried and cried, and then I, after the service, I drove home. Not sure how I got home because I couldn't see because I was so just like overwhelmed. <laughs> and um, I got in bed to take a nap and, and it happened again just like Moses was when he was in the cleft of the rock and God passed by with his glory it was like God got I was in my bed and God's like here let me show you a little more of my glory <laughs> and it just like happened again this like overwhelming sense of God's presence and and I jumped I started bawling again and I jumped out of my bed in my bedroom and in the middle of my bedroom I was like God you have my whole life it's all yours I am done and I knew in that moment, I knew to the core of my being that homosexuality was a sin. I knew it was no longer who I was. And I knew it was no longer going to be a part of my future. And I didn't care because I had just met Jesus. And I was like, well, this, this is way better than that. Good riddance to that life because this thing is, Jesus is way better than this. And I still, and that was 10 years ago. That was September 20th, 2009. And I still feel the exact same way. I mean, there's not been an ounce of, I still feel like Jesus is way better than any of that. And so that's what happened. Amen. Hey, <laughs> Praise God. God. Let's give glory to God. That's, I love that. I love that. Uh, I think it was Billy Graham who said it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to judge, and our job to love. Right. Right. Yeah. And so I love that there was a time in your life where, yeah, I, this doesn't feel like sin to me. I'm, I'm living my life. And then, like, in a moment, like you said, it's like the veil was lifted. The curtain was pulled open. Um, Second Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2 talks about how 
the Spirit reveals to us spiritual truths and spiritual words. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict the heart, to unveil um, the, the blindness and to show us truth. And that's exactly what happened yeah. um, in a moment. So, you know, and I love, you know, that story you brought up where in, in the book of Exodus where Moses is in the cleft of the rock and, and God covers him with his hands and his glory passes by. And I don't know if you've ever caught this, but when he passes by, God starts revealing who he is. And he does it by revealing his character. And one of the things he says, he says, I am merciful. I am compassionate. He has deep compassion mm. for Moses, yeah. for Beckett, for me, and for us. That's who Yahweh is. He is, I yeah. am. I love that. So thank you so much for sharing yeah. that, Beckett. Man, um, so many things were going through my mind as you were sharing. I wanted to keep stopping you, but <laughs> I didn't want to stop you. So um, thanks for sharing. Yeah. Um, I want I want to want to ask you some questions because last week we we got a bunch of questions from all of you, and we got a fat stack of questions. And so my job this past week was try to combine all the questions, boil it down, try to get the heart of what the questions um, being asked uh, were. And so I'm I'm gonna try to give you some of these questions coming from our our, our church family. Um, and, and the first one is this: um, first of all. Actually, if you would help us understand, you know, when we talk about homosexuality, um, it's, it's a very difficult topic to approach. Mm -hmm. In one way, it's no different from any other sin, right? In that um, it doesn't keep us away from the kingdom of heaven, doesn't keep us away from God more so than any other sin. Um, so in one way, it's no different. And then in another way, it's so different from every other sin. And so yeah. can you help us understand why it's the same and why yeah. it's different? Yeah, I mean, I talk about that in the book. I, I, there's a section called Same But Different. And, yes, it's, it's you know, and, and I, in 1 Corinthians 6, I actually just marked this because, you know, Paul talks about, he lists these sins um, about the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he goes through... Um, sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. But the difference is homosexuality, obviously, in our culture has become this huge um, identity. And for me, it was my identity for 20 years. And and over the last 40 or 50 years in our culture, it's it's slowly but surely become this huge identity. So um, unlike other sins, it's, um, it's so tied to someone's, who, to, to who someone is that it's, uh, it's very difficult to untangle that. And that's why there's like uh, the identity thing, there's gay pride parades, but there's not greed pride parades, or there's not gossip pride parades, or there's not, you know, idolaters pride parades. Um, and so, that's the that's how it's different and and because with like adultery like the, another sin in this passage adultery we kind of know like okay that's pretty that's wrong to cheat even even a non-christian knows it's wrong to cheat on someone they're with like they don't they hide it you know they know it's wrong but if you believe that homosexuality is righteous and good then there's never a chance to repent of it because you don't think it's wrong. And so that's, that's the tricky part about this particular sin. And 
it also happens to be this gigantically dominant thing in our culture today, as we all know. Yeah. And that's what's interesting. I can't think of another sin that the Bible calls a sin where people want to identify with it. Nobody wants to be called an adulterer or an, an alcoholic or a swindler. But now, now we're, we're living in an age where it's something to be celebrated to, to be known as a homosexual or gay, right? right? To yeah. the point where they have parades. So, so very different. And that's what makes it so difficult to address because of how closely... Uh, tied it is to one's identity. And, and that's, I mean, uh, and when I was growing up and, and when I was living that life for so long, I felt, I mean, my family were, my family, they're all Christians. And I, I knew that they believed, I knew that they believed homosexuality was a sin. And so it's, and they didn't really know this, but I always felt alienated from them because they thought who I was was a sin. Because mm. I, I was really like, I was, I was offended. I mean, not consciously all the time, but I was offended by the fact that they believed it was a sin. Because I was like, this is, but this is who I am. Like, how can you, you know, hate the sin, love the sin? Like, that doesn't, like you said in last week, like, it doesn't make sense because this is who I am. So you can't hate half of me and love half of me. That doesn't make any sense. So I understand that. And it's, um, that's yeah. why it's, you know, a work of the Holy Spirit that has yeah. happened. Well, so along that line, um, the, a, a question many people are asking is, so is homosexuality a choice or is it something that you're born with? How would you answer that question? Um, well, that's, that's, a, that's a big one. Um, so it's, Okay, first of all, just because Lady Gaga says you're born that way doesn't mean it's true. <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> and that's become kind of the narrative in our culture today is that you're, you know, you're born gay, you're born, you're born this way. And um, in every aspect, if you're trans, whatever it is, you're born, you're born this way. And it's like so, so philosophical, it's so scientifically um, sloppy. And, and there's no, the, the science is, is, not even uh, settled on this issue at all. And um, there's, there's, you know, there's three kind of uh, theories about it. It could be biological, it could be genetic, it could be environmental, and it could be hormonal. Um, but again, no scientist worth his or her salt would ever commit to one of those, mm -hmm. and no one has. And, but the point is, but also, uh, but the point about that is it doesn't even, uh, so if a scientist showed me today that there was a gay gene and that every, you know, every gay person is born gay, I'd be like, so what? Like, we're all conceived in sin. We're born in sin. Like, we're, because of the fall, we're born in a broken state. And, and so it, that doesn't, that doesn't, that wouldn't sway my understanding of, of homosexuality as a sin. And you asked if, if it was a choice for, for me having having being attracted to the same sex was never a choice to me um it just gradually it happened over time in my in my childhood in fact i i wouldn't have chosen that because um and because it's it complicates your life uh, especially back then now in our culture today the, i don't i'm not sure how to answer that question because i think some kids might choose it just to kind of 
like back in my day, it was like you would smoke cigarettes or get a tattoo or something to be rebellious. But like now it's like maybe that's what kids choose to do because they, to, to just be different. Like, oh, I, I'm, I'm gonna choose to be bisexual or I'm gonna choose to be gay or whatever. So I don't know, but for the most part, in, from my experience, um, especially men, it's not a choice. It's just something that just happens. And um, I, obviously acting on it is a choice, but the kind of orientation or the same-sex attraction is not really a choice. With women, it's, I've, from again, from my experience, it's been different. It's, it's sure. for some women, I feel like it, it's not a choice, but I've known a lot of women in college who have this, go through this phase sure. of kind of, being a lesbian in college, and then like after they graduate, they they're not anymore. <laughs> so that's always like a weird thing, but yeah. but so anyway, yeah. But it doesn't. The bottom line is it doesn't matter because mm -hmm. we're we're all born in sin. Right. We're we're all born broken. Yeah. In very nature, and if we're gonna follow Christ, the call is the same: to carry our cross, to yeah. deny, yeah, to not deny ourselves, and to follow Jesus. Right? Exactly. So, yeah. Um, Every, every testimony I've heard, I, and I've heard a lot where um, somebody with the same-sex attraction shared the very same thing that you just said, that I, I did not choose this, and if I could change it, I would. Um, if I could be born differently or born again, I would, but this is who I am. And so I, I, I would agree that it doesn't matter because even if we didn't choose this disposition or this um, this particular attraction, if anything is a sin, we were, were to deny it and to follow Jesus. And, and you yeah. know, a, a pastor put it interestingly, like, I mean, even for a heterosexual, right, you don't choose who you're attracted to. And there's times growing up in high school, I would tell my friends, hey, she's cute. And they'd be like, dude, what's wrong with you? Like, like people wouldn't <laughs> agree with me. So why is it that some people like redheads and some people like funny. freckles and some people like tall, tall people and some people like... Um, you know, slender people, some people like chunky people, and like we all have a different attraction, <laughs> and we can't explain that, right? Yeah. We don't explain that, so yeah, yeah. Did you have something? No, say? I just no, I said thunder thighs, like when you mentioned last oh, yeah. week. <laughs> oh, thanks for bringing up my past, bro. Uh, <laughs> that, was, that was a crazy thing to say to somebody. <laughs> so, so share, share with us, and uh, you know, I asked you before if it was okay if I asked this, um, but now that you have found Christ. Has your attraction changed? Would you say, now that I'm a Christ follower, I'm straight and I'm heterosexual? Um, so, when I, the, okay, let's, let me put it this way. The day before I got saved, my attraction to men, my, um, my libido, if, if you will, my, my thought life regarding sexuality was at like 100%. Mm -hmm. The day I got saved, it it was like dramatically, uh, it fell dramatically, mm -hmm. and it um, it no longer dominate sexuality. No longer dominates my thought life. I don't think about it. I very rarely think about it. I very um, the desire. I'm not straight. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm not in term meaning. I'm not attracted to women, mm -hmm. but. Um, by God's grace, that that um, that attraction to men has dramatically been reduced. There's still vestiges of it, and 
it still kind of comes and goes and you know I once in a while I'll kind of feel a sense it and um but I you know I I pray about it all the time I you know I, I ask and I prayed with elders at my church and with you know different people and I, I ask God all the time like God you know would you heal the sexual brokenness in me um because I was I was molested as a kid from from my friend's father one night and and I, I think that was kind of a, had a lot to do with this but I ask God to to heal the sexual brokenness in me and if it's his will and like you know if it's not it's like this you know like Paul's thorn in his flesh I'm again I'm happy to deny that aspect of myself and take on my cross and follow Jesus because right. he's way more worth it than than kind of giving into this appetite like when Esau sells us birthright for a single meal you know he he wanted he had to have that lentil soup uh, that his brother made and he sold his birthright for that um, and and I I'm not willing to do that like I, I Jesus is I I, I uh, yeah I just I, I don't I'd, I'd rather deny myself and 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 to and follow Christ mm-hmm. yeah um that's good. <laughs> so many thoughts in my head. Um, do you, you know, I, I appreciate that honesty because, I mean, how many of us share that very same testimony? I, I struggled with sin. I lived in it. I found Christ. And the next day, is it gone? No, like that struggle is still there. And we may live with that struggle for the rest of our life. Our flesh will always want to go back. Um, and yet, we're, we're called to follow Christ. And yet, there's, there's um, the Holy Spirit living in us. So sin doesn't look the same anymore, um, whether it's I was once at 100 and now it's 10, or maybe I'm still at 100, but, but I'm, I, I have the power of the Holy Spirit in me to now not sin. I have that strength. So. Yeah, it just reminds me of the, when the Isra- Israelites were freed, when they um, were freed from Egypt, you know, when they, were, they, they were free, but they still, you know, wanted to go back right. into that bondage, into that slavery. Right. And... Um, yeah, and I just, like, I, I really do, when I look back on my life and look back on living that life as a gay man, I just, I see it as such bondage, mm. and I was such enslavement, and I thought it was, like, sec- I thought it was sexual freedom and, li- and liberation, but it was actually mm, bondage. bondage. Yeah. Wow. Was, yeah. yeah. So, I think what makes it hard for a lot of people um, who have gay friends is the thought that it's so unfair, right? They can never get married. They can never experience romantic love. They can never have sex like a heterosexual can, um, if we're going to call it sin. So, mm-hmm. I mean, do you have those feelings or thoughts? Like, is it unfair to you um, now that you've found Christ? Well, yeah. I mean, I, people ask me that all the time. Is your life unfair? And I, I um, because people, you know, they, they say, you know, isn't it like you have to be alone for the rest of your life? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but I'm not alone. I have like the most amazing relationship with Jesus Christ. And um, I just honestly like, you know, and I'm not saying I'm not, I don't want to diminish people who diminish the emotions that other people have that don't feel this way because I know it's different. It's different for different people, but I feel like the luckiest guy in the world because I have this and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and I have eternal life by the way which is kind of amazing yeah. you know it's kind of <laughs> it's cool kinda, um, yeah. 
And so I never feel like I'm being cheated out of something or like like my life is unfair. I mean, I think about like, I think you may, you may have mentioned this last week, but I, I just think about there's like people in the world. Like Paul was like beaten and, and crucified. I'm not crucified. Paul was beaten and, um, and jailed and, and shipwrecked. And he never, I, like he never like whined about it. I mean, he, all he cared about was running around the Mediterranean, planting churches and spreading the gospel and he and and I feel like there's so many people around the world who are being persecuted just for being a Christian just for having a bible like they they could be beheaded and killed and and or jailed and it's like that's that's pretty harsh and so like when I when people ask me if my life is un, unfair I'm like no like mm-hmm. I have this amazing relationship and um, and I have this church, bo- uh, the body of Christ, who is, uh, I mean, that's, that's one of the most stunning things about what, how God's redemption and this whole, this whole story of redemption is that not only does he save us, but he, like, gives us, like, the body of Christ right. to right. come around us and, and bear our burdens and support us and pray for us. And so, anyway, I've, I don't think it's unfair <laughs> at I love all. what you said in your book, too, um, in regards to that question. Is it unfair? And, and one thing you said was, is it un- it's unfair that Christ was beaten and crucified. It, it's unfair that he hung on the cross and, and experienced what he did for me. Like, yeah, that's truly what's unfair. unfair. That's yeah. not fair. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the question um, a, lot of, a lot of us have, a lot of us in here know somebody who um, identifies as gay or has same-sex attraction. Many of you have coworkers, family members. Um, I can't tell you how many people I talked to this week who said, yeah, I, how, how do I love them? How do I love them well? And so how, how can we be friends, like sincere friends with those with same-sex attraction um, or who I- identify as gay, even though we don't uh, support or approve of the lifestyle? How can we love them and, and still hold to our stance on mm-hmm. how we view it as sin? Well, first, I, I would say it's not easy because, again, like I mentioned before, my, you know, my family loved me, sincerely loved me, and but I felt alienation from them because they didn't agree with me, mm-hmm. and so it's there's always there there potentially is always going to be this this mm-hmm. um, this gap, this kind of um, unbridgeable gap, mm-hmm. and. But I think I, I talk. I talk about in my book my sister-in-law who, and this isn't the only way. But she she was an evangelical Christian, and she um, I knew that she believed it, homosexuality was a sin. And but I every time I would see her in Dallas for the holiday when I would go home for Christmas, and we would get together and. She would just love me, and and she would talk about God. I would talk about guys, and <laughs> she never, she never, cond- I never felt condemnation from her. I, she never once like picked up the Bible and was like, "Well, Beckett, you know, in First Corinthians six, it says blah blah blah," because she knew like if she had ever done that with me, I would have just been like, "Okay, I'm not going to see you again. I'm just like I'm not going to ever hang out with you," mm-hmm. and so. She just loved me, and she knew where I knew where she stood, and that's that's I think is important for us as believers is to have our convictions on this settled and really firm. Um, 
and then go out and love. Because when you, when you don't have this, this, these convictions settled in your heart and you try to like love and it's just, it can be very confusing and to people. And so I, it's like, Jesus is the perfect example in the, in the gospels. If you read through the gospels, like I think you mentioned this too last week, he was the perfect example of truth and love. And um, he, he never obviously compromised truth for a second, but he did, he, when he interacted with people one-on-one, it was always with such love and grace, and it it was like he was so focused on, it was, the way he did it was so amazing, and um, that's, I think, how we have to kind of go about this with, with people in our community, in our church, and also people in our, um, outside of the church, is just love them, and, you know, if, if, the, if it comes up and, and, and a non-Christian, like, asks you, like, what do you believe about this? Just be, you know, be honest. Don't dodge the question. Right. But um, it doesn't have to be something you, <laughs> you lead with. You know, like, by the way, you know, you don't have to, like, meet someone at Starbucks. And they're like, hey, like, tell me about Christianity. Well, first of all, homosexuality is an abomination. <laughs> um, so you don't necessarily have to lead with that. But, I, I, again, just, like, be really clear about this and how you know that this is a sin and i know the culture is very powerful and and it's it's um it's you know creeping into even the church this mm-hmm. this this idea that satan is 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 uh putting this doubt into the church mm-hmm. and um and i talk you know i i was talking to you about this the other day but like it's like if you it's fascinating if you look at genesis 1 through 3 mm-hmm. Um, in Genesis 1, it's God said, and 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 God said. Genesis 2, the man speaks. He names all the living creatures. He speaks. Genesis 3, who speaks? The serpent. The serpent. And what does he do? And, and the man, during the whole, is silent. And so the, it's, there's this, um, this, the serpent is, is uh, like you mentioned last week, the serpent puts, puts that doubt into us mm-hmm. and that satan puts that doubt and says well did god really say mm-hmm. this is a sin or you know uh, this is you know that was just like a cult that's a cultural thing or but you know so i it's so important again to just have a, a, a biblical understanding of sexuality mm-hmm. and uh, it's not just it's not just homosexuality it's like premarital sex and uh, extramarital sex and and, I, and one thing I just want to say, be, I don't know how much time we have, but um, God's ethic of sexuality in the Bible is for our flourishing. You know, the, the way he set up marriage between one man and one woman is such a beautiful way. And it's not just a picture, it's, it's a picture of Christ in the church, but it's a picture of this, this flourishing and it helps us flourish. And, and I'm telling you, like, when I lived that life, it was like, there was some, I didn't realize it at the time, but there was so much damage done to me just through all the relationships I had and all this kind of crazy just, you know, one night stands and things. And it's like, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was like emotionally scarring. Mm-hmm. And, and it's also very dangerous just physically, you know. And mm-hmm. so, um, so anyway, that's, that's I, I don't know why I got on that tangent, but I think <laughs> it's important for us to understand that 
Satan is is sowing yeah. this doubt, yeah. and we have to we have right. to fight that doubt with the sword of the spirit. Amen. Amen. You know, so one, one last thing. I, I know we got to wrap up. We're running out of time, but uh, a, a common question is like, so for example. We, we want to love our friends, uh, but let's say we have a friend who is gay and, and they're getting married, right? So do we attend that or not? And oh so, gosh. so let, let me give my perspective <laughs> first, um, and then I want to hear yours. Not that question. <laughs> um, this is how I've answered people in the past. Um, and I, I, I've said, you know, use discernment, pray through it. But if you felt led to go to support your friend, because they're friends, um, then go. And, and the reason I said that was because, you know, I, I've had friends who were heterosexual, who, who aren't following Jesus, and their relationship was by no means holy. I know that they were sleeping together, and, um, you know, I still went to the wedding because they're my friends. And it's not necessarily I support their lifestyle, but I support them as friends. And so I, 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 I don't hesitate to say, you know, if, if you feel... Um, like your conscience is clear and you, you feel like you can go and still love them and still stand firm on your biblical stance, then that's okay. Mm. What's your take on this? Well, I mean, you mentioned that, that um, they were sleeping, your heterosexual friends are sleeping together and then they got married. But that heterosexual marriage is per se in itself is not a sin. Mm. So you can celebrate that. In fact... <laughs> You can celebrate it even more because you're like, oh, good, you're getting married. Now you're not sinning anymore. Um, but, but homosexual marriage, homosexual practice and, and marriage, I mean, that's, that is a sin. So it, I, I actually, when I, right after I got saved, um, I was put on the spot by friend, two friends of mine, and they asked me to come to their to, my friend asked me to come to his wedding. He was marrying a man. And, and I, I was kind of like, in that moment, I was trying to prove to them that I was like, you know, a loving Christian. But, and so I said, yeah, of course I'm coming to your wedding. And I, I just remember, I went to the wedding, and as soon as I got there, and as soon as the ceremony started, I just felt like, oh, dang, this is like, hmm. I just felt it was wrong. It was off. Uh, because I was, I couldn't celebrate. Well, everyone else was really happy and celebrating this moment, and I couldn't. And I felt like a fish out of water. I just felt really strange the entire night. And so I, um, again, I just think it's with a wedding. It's you're celebrating something. It's a celebration of this marriage, and so it's it's like celebrating a sin mm. is very difficult to do mm. and um I, I don't know i mean i would again i would like you said pray about it and if it's something that where it's like you're a mother and it's your son and you don't want that relationship to be fractured forever i don't know i really don't know the answers to that but for me after after experiencing that gay wedding I, I'll never go to a gay wedding, gay wedding again mm. because it, it was so strange to me. It now, was thank, so odd. thank you for that perspective because yeah. you're, you're right when you say at a heterosexual wedding, that wedding in itself is not sin per se, but to celebrate a homosexual wedding, that's a sin, and that's the reason you're there to celebrate. Right. And so to celebrate sin, 
put you in a in like a you can go to the uh, dinner party at their house. Like it's fine to to do, uh, but if you're celebrating this yeah, thing, yeah, you know, I don't know. No, that's that's good perspective. Thank you for that. That that's yeah. very insightful. Um, I, I want to close, and we're, we're going to go into worship. But thank you for sharing, and um, I, I love the fact that God's glory is being put on display uh, in your life, and just proof of God's amazing grace. Um, it, it breaks my heart that I've heard many uh, people who identify as gay or have same-sex attraction say that there's no place for them in heaven, that there's no room for them in heaven. That just crushes my heart. And I love that your life is living proof that there is, that the one can at one point in their life live totally outside of the kingdom of God. Um, by the grace of Christ, they can now be found inside the kingdom of God. And that verse that you read for us, 1 Corinthians 6, I want to put it up for you guys. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 through 11 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But I love this. This is a description of people who just generally live in, in sin, right? Because the kingdom of somebody is anywhere where that somebody reigns. And so if we're living willfully, continuously in any of these sins, that's not the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of you. You're, you're serving yourself as king, not Christ as king. And therefore, you're not living in the kingdom of God. And yet, I love the hope that comes in the next verse, verse 11. It finishes off like this. And such were some of you, it's past tense, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And our hope is that, that though many of us once lived in sin outside of the kingdom of God, as if we would be excluded from heaven, the hope is that that doesn't have to be the case, that the, the gospel has come to give us freedom, to set us free from bondage. It has the power to free us. It has the power to empower us. So we have this hope. None of us in here, none of us in here were born in the kingdom of heaven. None of us were born as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. All of us were born, as Becca shared, with a broken nature, every single one of us. And yet, if any one of us would come and trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then we are born again. Mm -hmm. And we have a new nature. And the Bible says we are a new creation. And now we have the Holy Spirit of God. And whatever sin used to enslave us or entangle us or characterize us or identify us, well, such were some of you. But praise God for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who paid for it on the cross who rose from the grave to prove that he has the power to give life. And in him, we are washed, sanctified, and justified in Christ. That is the power of the gospel. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you guys thank Beckett with me? Thank you so much for joining us. Church, can I ask that you join me? And let's pray for Beckett because God has given him a story and a platform, and he's got a huge target on his back. And we just want to cover you in prayer. Is that cool? Would you guys join me? <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Father God, we thank you so much for our, our brother and friend Beckett. God, he represents so many of us in this room who have a story. 
All of us were born broken. All of us were born enslaved by sin. And thank God that right before our very eyes is an example of one who is born again. We have a new name. We have a new identity. We have a new foundation, and it's found in Christ. And now we have a new spirit living inside of us, the Holy Spirit of God. You dwell in us to sanctify us and wash us, to justify us from the penalty of sin. And you want to give us newness every single day of our life. You want to give us life and life abundantly. God, we pray for Beckett, Lord, that you continue to uh, cover him with your presence. Lord, that you would protect him because I know the enemy wants him. The enemy wants to destroy him and wants to take him down. So every day of his life, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would reign, that you would remind him that he who is in him is greater than he who is in the world. God, would you continue to expand his uh, influence and his reach, broaden his platform so that many people will come to know of Jesus Christ because of the story he shares. God, we thank you. We love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.